Uh, it's time for Test Tube Thursday. Dan Riskin, our science expert, is here. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm okay. Uh, well, I mean, relatively, I guess. Uh, You're very so, tired, but you haven't been chased by a homeless person, so I guess we're caught up. Yeah, I swear. It's like the opening frames of Shaun of the Dead some days when I'm <laughs> on my way to the office. So, uh, Earth's water, uh, lots of theories about where it came from. Where did it come from, or do we know? Well, we the, one of the leading hypotheses right now is that it comes from comets or it comes from asteroids to Earth. But then where does that come from and how old is it? And the, an answer to that question has uh, emerged uh, from uh, basically there's this star out in Orion. Uh, it's a protostar, actually, so it hasn't quite become a star yet. But it's it's got a bunch of ice around it and it's hot enough that the ice is melted enough that the telescopes here on Earth can look at it and somehow, I don't know how they do these kinds of things, but they can figure out the ratio of the different isotopes of water that are in there. So there's something called heavy water and there's normal water. And basically, the that gives a signature of where what that water is like. And if that signature out there matches the signature that we've seen on Earth and that we've seen in comets and we've seen in asteroids, then we can reasonably assume that that water is somehow connected to those asteroids that come to us. And so, lo and behold, that's what they found. Uh, these very old proto-star disks that occur way out in space have the water that we have on Earth. And so the conclusion they've made is that that's where our water is coming from. And if that's where the water is coming from, that means our water is older than the sun, which is kind of a crazy thing to think about. You think about the sun, and then you think about the solar system forming, and then you think water comes after that. But it turns out the water's been here all along. And so it gives us sort of this, uh, this sort of, I don't know, when you look at a big body of water on the Earth, it's it just gives you a different feeling when you look at it and think, oh, that water is older than this planet. It's older than the sun. And so next time you're looking out at Lake Ontario, you can have that sort of deep thought. Um, and that's what the latest research shows. <laughs> Maybe I'll try that later on today. I like having deep thoughts. Yeah. Um, tell me about dizzy apes. Dizzy apes. So I don't know if I buy the conclusion that the researchers make from this paper, but I'm going to share it with you and your listeners can sort of form their own opinions. Um, there is a video that has gone viral on online of a gorilla in a toddler pool, like a, a kiddie pool. And this gorilla, for whatever reason, decides to spin around in circles and splash. And it's a very cute video. And it kind of looks like uh, the movie Flashdance a little bit. Like it's just spinning and there's water everywhere. And it's just doing these moves. And yeah, it almost looks like it's CGI because it looks like you couldn't get a gorilla to do something more dramatic and cute. This video inspired researchers to do a search for any kind of spinning behaviors in apes. And they found 40 different videos on YouTube with apes, that's like gorillas or orangutans or uh, chimpanzees, uh, spinning usually on a rope. So holding onto a rope and then spinning really fast. And the argument that they make is this is a, a ubiquitous behavior among apes. Okay, fine. So be, apes like to spin, sure. But they're saying they do it so they can get dizzy. And this gives us insight into the tendency of humans to do drugs because you get an altered state of mind when you spin around and the fact that all these different apes do it suggests that we as apes before we ever became humans had this tendency to try to find different ways to get high and spinning around was something we probably did and that led us towards our tendency to do other kinds of narcotics and all these other things like that's just part of our DNA and this evidence comes from the spinning ape. Uh, so I'm not sure if I buy it. I mean, it might just be that apes like to spin and it has nothing to do with an altered state of mind, but uh, that is the, those are the data they present. 
Okay, well, let's stick with um, monkeys and apes. Uh, modern monkey handiwork is putting some aspects of evolution into question. Yeah, I mean, the, the headline's a little bit tricky because it's not actually putting evolution into question. It's putting our understanding of early human evolution into question. So we think that one of the most important things for early humans was stone tool making, where humans took rocks and they chipped them. And what they ended up making were these very sharp tools that they could then use to peel meat away from the bone and, and do other things like that. And so when they find these early tools, these, these rocks that are chipped into a certain kind of shape, uh, they take that as evidence of early tool making in humans. And so this is like one of the most important things that's done in anthropology and the oldest are 2.6 million years old. And it gives us insight into how humans evolved. But oops, it turns out that a bunch of monkeys who are just taking rocks to smash nuts open accidentally make rocks that look identical to what those early human rocks are supposed to look like. So what we might be thinking is like, oh, look, these humans made these rocks and they're clearly making tools might actually be just a bunch of monkeys smacking rocks into things. Would you? They're not doing it to make the tools that they then use. If people have watched the monkeys, they're just smashing the rock onto a nut and then it makes these things that they just don't even pick up. Um, so what we might think looking through all these different localities are these, these, oh, there it is. Their humans have just figured out how to make tools. Aren't humans so great might just be a bunch of monkeys that were there smashing rocks and so um that is going to cause a lot of people to sort of look at their data again and just double check without someone there watching which we don't have uh it's it's impossible to tell whether it was a human making a tool or whether it was a monkey just smashing a rock okay and uh tell us how they are preserving germs on mount everest yeah, I mean, it's not that they're preserving the germs, it's that Mount Everest is preserving the germs. This is a study that came out of Colorado, and uh, basically, way up, uh, at, basically, there's this uh, this dip between Mount Everest and its sister peak, Lotsa, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, where it's called the South Coal, and it's where hundreds of adventurers pitch their final camp each year before attempting to scale the, you know, the, the heights of Everest. And uh, they went out there, and they just, they had somebody go and hike as far as they could from camp uh, off into the boonies. Uh, collect some samples of soil and then bring it back and then they look to see what kinds of microbes were in there and they expected to find things that are sort of extremophiles things that grow in very cold places like fungi and stuff but they they found that, but they also found things like Staphylococcus and Streptococcus, which they infer comes from people. And so what they're saying is all those people that go up hiking on Everest, you know, they sneeze on their way up, that gets preserved. And so th this isn't necessarily like a danger story or, or anything like that, but it is just a wake-up call that our germs are everywhere we go. And if we're going to go to places like Mars, we should probably have that in mind so nobody sneezes and plants the, the seeds of an outbreak on Mars or anything like that. Well, you know, that's one of the things I learned from Commander Hadfield is that apparently people get all farty in outer space. <laughs> if you have that interview, you should play it again. I'd love to hear about it. <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot, sir. That's Dan Riskin, our science expert, who joins us every Thursday for Test Tube Thursdays.